New patron alert! New patron alert! All hands to station, prepare for donation. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, that was uneventful. Must have been a dollar a month patron. Uh, oh, oh, no, it, it really wasn't. Generous is the word. But they don't want the world to know? I don't think they even want us to know. But, but, but how can we expose them as the vile conspirators they are if we can't even speak their name? I don't think we can. I think, Joshua, that we might be in the weird position of knowing something we ought not to know and can't tell anyone about it. Is that how Alex Jones feels? Am I having David Icke thoughts now? We live in the worst possible timeline. Well, it is 2020. Still, this year needs to get over itself, stat. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison, they are Dr. M. Dentith, situated in or about the country of Aotearoa, New Zealand, just scattered liberally about it, I well, suppose. Well, those of you who are watching the video version, and there is a video version on Josh's channel, yeah. might think that actually I am not in any particular time zone, or indeed point in space. Yes, we've got backgrounds, just for the hell of it. I have our Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy logo, which, now that I think of it, maybe isn't so great having it centred, because I appear to be on the Podter's Concy. Well, so I am obviously in my TARDIS. Mm. Anyway, this means nothing to people who are just listening to the podcast on their usual podcast listening apparatus. Um, so moving on, we have a new patron. Uh Thank you. Yeah, I think they is all wish that can to be remain said. anonymous, so we will call them Edward De Vere. Oh, cunning. Yes. Do we know if this person also actually wrote the works of Shakespeare? We do not, but okay. I do have my suspicions. Mm, no, I wouldn't discount it as a possibility. I also wouldn't count it as a possibility. Well. I just have my suspicions. Mm. That's all I'm uh, saying. You always do. Uh, now, this week... This week we're trying something new and exciting and interesting and different and terrible. So, so we thought we'd, we'd, we'd try a feature where one of us has no idea what's going to happen and the other has picked a brand new obscure conspiracy theory that presumably the other hasn't heard of and will explain it to them. I think I got that right. That is correct. Now, I am quite curious to see how reciprocal this arrangement will be. Mm. Because, and I may be blowing my own horn here, I suspect I know about a lot more conspiracy theories That's than my Joshua suspicion does. also, yes, yes. So I think I, I think I might have my work cut out for me, finding one to stump you with. But that's not the case this week, because for our inaugural... Do we have a name for it? Like, like Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre? Oh, we should have a name for it. Let's workshop that and have a name for it next time. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the first episode of whatever it is we decide to call this, uh, M is in the know. Yes, I am the Stumperer. And I am towering in my ignorance. As the Stumperer. Mm. Um, and M's going to try and remedy that. So I'm, I'm, I'm practically excited 
I'm not excited, but I'm on the way to being excited. Uh, Shall we get straight into it then? Indeed. So, the suspense is killing me, or at least causing me mild bowel discomfort. What have you got? Alright, I'm going to play a little bit of a game to get us into this. Okay. I want from you a place where this conspiracy occurred, a time period for when it occurred, what kind of conspiracy you think it is, say, you know, political, murder, weird, UFO-related material, and whether or not it's warranted. So... Give me, where do you think this conspiracy occurred? Uh, bonny old England. Okay, interesting. A time period? Uh, 1570s. 1570s. And what kind of conspiracy is it? Uh, cheese-related. Cheese-related conspiracy. I was not Don't tell me there aren't any. I mean, there will be. I'm mm. Just as a vegan, I am opposed to all cheese-related conspiracies. Apart okay. from conspiracies about how cheese is bad. And do you think it's going to be warranted or unwarranted? Definitely warranted. The Great 1570 Cheese Conspiracy. Okay, so you said England. Yes. We're actually going, we're actually going to Scotland. Close enough. But it does involve someone who was King of Scotland and became king of England and Scotland. So you're actually pretty close there. Mm. Uh, the time period is actually 1600 after the Common Era, so you're actually very so close, close to that as I'm well. I'm a little frightened now. However, it's not so at how all the cheese. cheese come into <laughs> I'm it? afraid there's no cheese involved <sighs> in this conspiracy at all. Oh, well. I'm afraid to say you may have tried to cut the cheese, but there's no cheese cutting going on in this conspiracy. And... It does turn out to be warranted, as it turns out so many of these English-come-Scottish plots turn out to be. Right. So let me tell you about the Gowrie conspiracy. Please do. I think you, you better hurry it up, because I'm aware that I just said England is close enough to being Scotland, so now any Scottish people listening to this podcast are going to track me down and murder me. Um, so before that happens, tell me what you got. Okay, so on the 5th of August 1600 ACE, uh, King James VI of Scotland, who would eventually be King James I of England, went hunting around the Falkland Palace, which was near Perth, but not that Perth. No, Scottish Perth, not Australian Perth. Precisely. And he was accompanied by his retinue, including some nobles and probably a very large number of peasants who have been forgotten by history entirely. So he was accompanied by the Duke of Lennox, the Earl of Mar, the Earl of Calais, the future Earl of Holderness, and a whole bunch of servants. Now, whilst out on his hunt, he's approached by this person called Alexander Ruthven, who was the younger brother of John Ruthven. And John Ruthven was the third Earl of Gowrie, who lived in Perth. And they had a really, really, really long history of treason against the Scottish crown, to the point where John's father had been executed by James VI for the crime of kidnapping James VI. Right. So this it's wasn't pretty blatant. Yeah, this wasn't James James the Sixth first run-in with a gallery, which is what makes the the following story all the weirder. So Alexander approaches the hunting party and says, Look, my brother John, the son of the person who kidnapped you eighteen years earlier, 
has detained a foreigner carrying a large quantity of money, and we really think you should come and interrogate this man. Now, James's first response is, surely this is a job for the local magistrate. I mean, I'm the king. I just don't go around interrogating foreigners willy-nilly. But Alexander points out to King James that if the magistrates interrogate this man and ask him where the money comes from, the magistrates will probably claim the money for their own purse, and surely the king should want this bounteous amount of gold for his own coffers. And that makes James go, hmm, maybe I should. And then Alexander sweetens the deal by mentioning that he thinks the money is going towards Catholics. <gasps> Not Catholics. Precisely. And of course, That's actually, there's a, a long history here of... James I of England, James VI of Scotland, having been sent away from his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, to ensure he doesn't get a Catholic education, to ensure that he isn't going to be pro-Catholic. So sweetening the pot with it might be going to Catholics is kind of really fitting into James's notion of wanting lots of gold and not wanting Catholics to have any gold. Hmm. This, so, so far, I have to say, this is sounding like a setup. This yeah, is sounding well, right, like so, the no, sort of thing right, you were so, going to say. So James then says, I will come to the castle. And Alexander's next line is, please bring as small a retinue to the castle as is humanly possible. Right, so it doesn't explicitly say no cops, but heading towards that. Now, James then, then decides to travel with a retinue of 10 to 15 people, which is one of those things you end up going, is that technically a small retinue for a king or is james highly suspicious and going yeah i'm bringing a lot of people with me not just a few but they ride to gallery house where alexander and his cousin john ruthven reside they arrive and john ruthven the actual earl of gallery seems completely surprised by the king's arrival is completely unprepared for a royal visit, and then has to make the king wait for at least an hour whilst a small feast is prepared in the king's honour. So, having ridden to the castle on the notion he needs to directly interrogate a man with a lot of gold, he's then forced to wait round in a hall for an hour whilst a cook tries to rummage up as much food as possible for a retinue of between 10 and 15 people. Now, the meal is had, and then eventually Alexander says, look, we should probably go upstairs and interrogate that funny foreigner with the gold. Would you please follow me on your own? Mm. This, I mean, if this were in some sort of thriller movie, I would be quite, I would be groaning at this point. I would be saying, for God's sake, you could write something a little less on the nose, maybe a little more originality. But um, does the king, is the king buying it? Yes, he follows Alexander up the stairs, and every time they go through a chamber, Alexander locks the door behind him. Right. So they're not just going upstairs, Alexander is locking every door they travel through as they tr travel up to a small turret room at the top of Gowrie House. Okay. Now, when they get into Gowrie House, they find standing in the room an armoured man who immediately seizes the king, 
at which point Alexander puts a, a knife to the king's throat, starts talking about the fact that he killed John's father, and basically tells the king, if you say a word, if you scream out, it's instant death for you. Right, well, at this point, I have no sympathy for the king, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, it does seem ever so slightly strange, and we'll actually talk about the the strangeness of this, because there there may be a reason why this story is slightly strange, as we'll get mm-hmm. to once we get to the conclusion of the sad tale. Now, after doing his villainous speech, Alexander decides to leave the room, at which point the king appeals to the better nature of the armoured garden there, who then says he has no idea what's going on there, and he feels he's been pressured to be in the room by Alexander. At which point, he allows the king to open a window in the turret, and the king starts to cry out at the moment Alexander comes back in. Luckily, some of his retinue downstairs hears, hears the king's cry, and they start rushing the stairs, but of course, All of the doors are locked, but one of the king's retinue realizes that there must be another passageway up to the turret room. Uh, This is a man by the name of John Ramsey. He's eventually going to be awarded titles for his particular brilliance here, and he runs up, ends up being let in by the armored guard when he knocks on the door, and a struggle ensues in which he pushes Alexander down a stairs, where he's eventually stabbed to death by the rest of the king's retinue. Now, during the kerfuffle, John, the actual Earl of Gowrie, is very confused by what's going on, so he basically comes back into the house, sees his cousin having just been stabbed to death by a large number of men, runs up the stairs to find out what's going on, and he is also killed in the melee. Right. Is that is is, is that where it ends? The sad death of the galleries, or...? Well, yes, I mean, basically at that point, the local peasants who are in favour of the Rufrans are ever so slightly saddened by the fact that their lord and the lord's cousin have been killed. So there is a minor riot in the nearby village, which forces the king to kind of flee the scene. But eventually he takes control. He has the has Gowrie House, the castle, demolished and bans anyone from ever having the name Rufrin again in the future. Right. So... I mean, I guess the first thing I have to ask is, how do we know about this? Because it seems like the only people who are who are privy to everything that went on are the king and this mysterious armoured man. And I have to say, if, if we're getting the king's version of events, he's not painting himself in the best light. So, Joshua, are you saying you are the Scottish Parliament? Because that was precisely the question they asked. I see. Because the Scottish Parliament was, at that time, slightly more in favour of Elizabeth than they were of their own King James. They were very sceptical about what the king was up to. He'd been wandering the place killing witches and things, so they were a little bit concerned about his proclivities. And they went, this story makes virtually no sense. Because A, it makes you look incredibly credulous, and B, we don't quite understand what the motivations of all of these characters are. 
and we're fairly sure that all of your witnesses, which include members of your retinue, and this man called Henderson, who claimed to not know what was going on when you got into the turret, we think you've either bribed them or simply ordered them as their monarch to say things against the Rutherans. So the Scottish Parliament holds an inquiry into this conspiracy at Gallery House to find out whether maybe the king is telling a few fibs. And that's where a whole bunch of theories start to emerge to try to explain why the king went to Gallery House if even we believe his story. So the standard story, the one that King James puts forward, is that the Rufrans basically were engaged in a plot to either murder or kidnap James. So one theory is initially they wanted to kidnap him on the notion he'd come to Gowrie House, he'd have a small retinue, they'd be able to easily capture him, uh, get rid of the retinue, and then persuade people that the king had moved on, and then hold him to ransom or demand he put forward certain legislative changes in the Scottish court. When he turns up at the house with a large retinue, their mind turns to murder. And given the history of the Rufrans having engaged in treasonous acts in the past, including the fact that John's father had kidnapped James 18 years prior, there is some reason to think that maybe... Maybe there's something to the story. In fact, some historians think that John Ruthven really did think he was a contender for the crown, and maybe getting rid of King James was one way to get about that. But a lot of people at the time actually thought that maybe the king's story is just a tissue of lies to cover up his particular intentions of visiting Gowrie House at that time. Because you see, King James owed an awful lot of money to the Earl of Gowrie. He was ah. heavily in debt to this man at the well, time. Now the plot thickens, you get a money motive in there. Well, precisely. So maybe the king paid a surprise visit to Gowrie House. So the story about Alexandra is made up. This then explains why the Earl of Gowrie is very confused when the king turns up at his doorstep, apparently at the invitation of his cousin Alexander. And maybe James had gone there to try and sort out a debt and decided that actually maybe the best way to sort out a debt is to kill the person that you're in debt to. Mm. Well, yes, I have to say, if 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 I were a member of the Scottish Parliament and the king came in and said, ah, oh, guys, you'll never believe, uh, you know those people who don't like me and are treasonous against me and who I owed a bunch of money to, I, I had to kill them. Uh, they weird, weird, weirdest circumstances, but I ended up just having to murder a lot of them. There, there was really nothing for it. What a funny world we live in. Um, yeah, if, if I heard that story... I certainly would be thinking, it sounds like you got rid of some people you wanted to get rid of, and you've made up some weird-ass story to try and cover for it. And indeed, I mean, who challenges the king on a lie? People who don't support the king? Well, precisely. Treasonous mm. people, Joshua, ah, well. like the Earl of Gowrie and his cousin. Mm. Now, another theory has it that maybe James wanted the casket letters. Ooh, there's more? 
There's more, more, more element. You've got, we've got the money. You know, we've got mysterious letters. Yes. So apparently, Mary Queen of Scots had written a whole bunch of letters to the Earl of Bothwell, and she never really let them out of her sight. Uh, when regents were in charge of Scotland, the letters were in their charge. And at some point in time, the letters came into the possession of the Earl of Gowrie. Now, at that point in time, Elizabeth in her court was going, oh, oh, I, I kind of want my sister's scandalous letters. Can I have them? And because they thought that the Gowries were treasonous, they'd probably just pass them on. But the Earl of Gowrie went, hmm, hmm. Mm, no, I'm I'm not entirely sure that I should do that. I mean, I think I should probably pass them on to my king. And people do wonder whether this was some kind of attempt to curry favour with the English court or get money by, you know, either showing... So I, I want to serve my own king, but yes, I'll give you the letters eventually, or you'll get the letters when you give me a whole bunch of coin carried to me by a foreigner. Uh, who's maybe aiding ca Catholics, who knows. But whatever ha happened, the Earl of Gowrie is the last person in history to have been known to have possession of those letters. And it's not clear from the records he ever gave those letters over to James VI of Scotland, James I of England. So maybe James had gone there to get whatever these letters Ah, and the thing is, we don't know what was ever inscribed in those pieces of parchment. History gives us no idea other than the fact that they were very precious to his mother. Right, and we don't know, we don't know whatever happened to them then. No, they, they, they the completely they disappeared disappear from history. Right. Okay, so we have a bunch of motives for why King James might want to show up and just murder the crap out of a bunch of people. Um, did, did did the Parliament buy it? Did they take his word? I mean, officially, they they found in favour of the king, but it did seem to be more of a. We've really only got a few eyewitnesses to the event, and they do keep claiming they're not lying. I guess we say they're not lying, even though we're very suspicious about the entire mm. story. Because the story really makes absolutely makes makes no sense. It's it seems no. very very ridiculous. Yes, I mean we could say it was it was the early sixteen hundreds and everybody was probably hot high on ergot poisoning or or, or full of syphilis or just drunk or all the smelling time. too much mink. Mm. Maybe that's the sort of stuff they got up to back then. I don't even know, but um, yeah, I would be suspicious. So, so in the, in the in the present day and age. Oh, no, 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 um, no, 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 no! Wait, 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 wait! Are you going to tell me there's more? There's a Shakespeare connection. Oh, even better! Well, yeah, it is the 1600s, I suppose. Yep. So there's a strange bit of Shakespearean history that comes in here. So Shakespeare's company, the King's Men, performed a play called The Tragedy of Gowrie in 1604. So that's just after. James becomes James I of England. Now, there were laws about plays of the day not being allowed to feature reigning monarchs. 
So the tragedy of Gowrie was performed twice until it was banned, and there is no surviving copy of the play at all. Now, we don't know who the author was. You might think that because it's the King's Men, there's a high likelihood that Shakespeare was the author of this particular tragedy, but the King's Men did also perform plays by people who weren't Bill Shakespeare. But many people think that Macbeth is a rewrite of the tragedy of Gowrie, by which point Shakespeare probably knew James I of England well enough that Shakespeare might have been the only person who knew the truth of what happened at Gowrie House that day. Goodness. So Macbeth. Hang on, what happens in Macbeth? His uncle... No, that's Hamlet. Macbeth, you've got the dude, and he wants to... He he just gets the vision, and the the witches tell him he's going to be king, and they murder a bunch of people, and his wife has blood on her hands that won't come off, and then the forest moves, and because of caesareans or something. Yeah, so in this version of the interpretation, I believe Banquo turns out to be James, and Macbeth is the Earl of Gowrie. So this is also playing on the idea that Gowrie thought he had a legitimate claim to the crown, but James as Banquo is the one who eventually becomes the real king of England. Mm, Okay. I thought Banquo got killed. Isn't Banquo's ghost one of the... No, that isn't that Macduff? Is it? I can't even Oh, actually, no, 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 you're right. No, sorry, it might be Macbeth. Anyway, the whole point is Mac- Macbeth dies at the end. Macbeth is yes, ga- Gowrie. It's been a long time since I've I've read any Shakespeare. No, but, Macbeth, uh, I, I did. Yeah, no, you know, you're right, because it is, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is Banquo's ghost. So it must mm. be Macduff. Mm. There, well, there so lies the rub. Mm. That is That is really stretching my my remaining knowledge of, of the works of Shakespeare there. Okay, so do you have is 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 that it? That is it. Yes. Okay. That is okay. It. Well, that that was a, that was quite the roller coaster. I have yeah. to say, that was a conspiracy that just kept on giving. Um, so, so as I was going to say before, then in the present day and age, so so all we have, I assume, to go on is just the record of these people's testimony. There's no nothing else that we that we future people have the benefit of knowing that might clear this up at all. No, as I say, Gary House was demolished after this event, so any evidence that would have been in the house is completely gone. The only eyewitness testimony is by the King, Henderson, and members of the King's retinue. So by and large, we are entirely reliant upon the King's story. Most modern historians now accept that the story is probably true, in part because it doesn't really put James in the best light. So if you're going to tell a lie, you might as well make yourself look clever, as Mm. opposed to this story, which is, sorry, so you went to the house of known traitors, you went upstairs alone, you watched the traitor lock the door after him, and you still followed him up there. This... This doesn't seem like the kind not of story you make up. At the yeah. same time, the story makes no sense. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's that. That's kind of what you expect, really, isn't it? They say um, fiction is harder to write than non-fiction because fiction has to make sense. Um, so maybe 
the the the, the, the actual details of the the actual historical happenings. Um, maybe we should expect them to be absolute nonsense. Wow, uh, maybe that's maybe. more credible. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um. So that's that. That's the state of things. Then is it? We we have a weird thing that happened that doesn't quite make a lot of sense. It's 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 kind of the Donnie Darko of conspiracy theories. I think where there's two possible ways of reading it, and neither one actually works. Yes. Yes. I I will agree with that assessment, both about this story and also Donnie Darko. Hmm. Mm. Slightly, uh, or, or possibly a bit of Pan's Labyrinth as well. That's the other one I think where there are two readings, which neither one a hundred percent actually works. I always thought with Pan's Labyrinth, it's fairly clear it has to be real due to the way that she escapes at one point. There's just no yeah, physical that, way yeah, she can escape. Yeah, there's the one bit where she escapes from the dude by drawing the magic door on the wall, and I don't see how else she could have done it. But then there seem to be other reasons why. And I, I remember, I actually, inter, interesting story. Are, are we done with the conspiracy we now? Are, Can yes, we get into the yes. ending of pop culture? I actually saw Pan's Labyrinth in 2006 at a horror movie film festival in London where it was like the, the premiere and Guillermo del Toro was there and talked about it. And he, the way he talked about it, he basically said it was all in her head. He was like, here's this, this, child trying to make sense of the war going on around her and retreating into a fantasy world um and it's been it's been too long since i've seen it actually but i remember there, yeah there was that one specific bit that says okay well that means it can't just be in her head but then i'm sure there are other things which said but no but it can't be real because of something else i've seen i, I had a discussion with a friend ages ago actually who said no no it has to be real it's it it it, it can't not be real and that's why it's it's a bad film because there are all these things that don't follow proper fairy tale rules or something and tried to get me to listen to download like a commentary track to watch to listen to at the same time as the movie which would go through all its flaws and tell you exactly why it was wrong and i was like so you want me to take a film I like and make myself not like it anymore? Yeah, that, I'm not going yeah, that to do that. Yeah, that does not seem like a good use of anyone's time. No, no. But anyway, that's 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 Pan's Labyrinth, which is shares uh, features with Donnie Darko, which features shares features with the story about King James and uh, and those wacky galleries. And I think. I have no more to say about that matter. No, no. I think I think we've I think we haven't quite closed the case on the Gowrie conspiracy. No, oh, that's a shame. Okay, well that um that sets a worryingly high standard for me next time we decide to do this going in the opposite direction, which I'm assuming um, will be in about two weeks' time because next week will be an article review, and then it will be yes. your chance to challenge me. Indeed. Because we, I suppose we should say this. This is the last uh, Thursday of the month when we're recording, which normally would be a news episode. But as has become a bit of a theme in recent times, we're just sick of the news. It's it's Trump. It's elections. It's COVID. It has been for ever since about March. Um, there isn't a hell of a lot new we could say, except uh, for a couple of new things we will say in the bonus episode this week. Indeed. Now, I will point out, if you are the kind of person who misses our monthly news update, you could, of course, become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, and then you would get that patron bonus stuff, which is news, 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 all the time. And by all the time, once a week. And by once a week, I mean basically 
three times out of four weeks of the month, because often we have a bonus episode which isn't news-related to give our patrons something even more special to listen to. Often often drawn from the world of, of art, strangely enough. I think we probably need to compile those into a full into a full regular episode at some stage. Because what we've I done think, the Salvatore yeah, Mundi, we've idea. done the the counterfeit um, Bible stuff. We had another thing as well. I can't even remember now. Something to do with macerated mummies or something. No, macerated the the the, the papyrus with papyrologists. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. We should dig those up and, and summarise them again. But anyway, we're not doing that now. Uh, right now, we're wrapping up this episode and getting ready to record a bonus episode in which we will talk a little bit about Trump, just a little bit, because there was one one kind of interesting conspiracy that we haven't talked about yet, um, which has been going around, and they haven't quite put a lid on it, but they may as well have. Um, we will talk about what's going on with Kim Jong-un's family, Always some wackiness there. We better mention that metal monolith that that was found in a canyon in Utah, because that's just too good not to mention. Um, here at home, we've had some um, slightly slightly discomforting stuff coming out about a a member of the New Zealand Defence Force and the wacky things they've been up to. Um, and we're going to talk about the latest edition of the BBC's Lovecraft Investigations podcast, where they, they tackle Shadow over Innsmouth. Yes, there's a lot of exciting content there, and also spoiler warnings. Yes, yes, spoiler warnings if you haven't listened to the podcast and are planning to. Um, but I think that is all for now. So I, I, I say congratulations to you. Round of applause for our inaugural whatever it is we decide to call this particular um, scheme of podcast episoding. Maybe call um, it What the Conspiracy? What the Conspiracy, yes. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything better, so as a provisional, provisional title, it yeah. will do. Now, listeners, if you can think of a better title for this thing, why not send that through? Yes, please, God, give us a better suggestion. <clears throat> um, and I think that is all we have to say. So thank you once again to our new patron. You're just the bee's knees. Thank yes. you also to our other patrons. You are all you are other other sort of joints on various bee appendages. No, it's, it's one bee, Josh. It's one bee with a lot of joints. Uh, lots of knees. They got six legs. How many joints on each leg? I actually, I, as I'm not a beesologist, I have no. Actually, is a beesologist someone who studies bees, or is it someone who stu- studies Jeff Bezos? Probably someone who studies you, yeah, or maybe someone who studies Jeff Bezos was dressed as a bee, Mm. and I don't know whether it's the researchers dressed as a bee or whether it's Jeff Bezos dressed as a bee. We need a Marston grant to find out. Yes, all I know for sure is that knees are involved. At any rate, new patron is good. Existing patrons are good. People who aren't patrons but still listen to us are good. uh, Good. (laughs) Good. Uh, gored. Gored. Yes, they're gored by bulls for not being patrons. Um, oh, see, I thought you were saying gored as in, you know, the plant. As a, as a plant. Well, I, they could be. I we mean, could have we some, might are have... Are suggesting we... some sort of invasion of the ba- uh, body snatchers <laughs> so type you scenario ba- for our about, listeners who aren't... About baby snatchers. And yes. I am suggesting there's an invasion of the baby snatchers. Hmm. Right. Uh, I seem to have lost the ability to pronounce ordinary words, so I'm just going to say goodbye and leave the rest to you. I'm going to say goodbye. Perfect. Yeah.
You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. M.R. Extenter, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. And remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it.